You can be seated. So glad you're here. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those of you that are joining us online as well. We're so glad that you are. Uh, real quick before we get started, I wanted to mention that this upcoming Tuesday, 7 p.m. here in the sanctuary is our prayer meeting. would really uh, hope that you're able to come out and uh, join with us and pray with us. Uh, that's this Tuesday, and it's the 7th. And so with that, Second Peter chapter 3, our text today is verses 5 through 7. We're going to continue in our verse-by-verse study through uh, Second Peter. We're in the last chapter of Second Peter, and I hope you don't mind that I, as they say, am going to savor the flavor. That was pretty good. Well, some of you are already standing, so if you're able to stand, you can do so. You can follow along as I read and savor the flavor. Um, if not, where you're seated is fine, but follow along, beginning in verse 5. Now Peter is continuing. He's in the context of these mockers and scoffers concerning the Lord's return. He says of them, verse 5, but they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's Word, the heavens existed, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, verse 6, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same Word, verse 7, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Let's pray. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Lord, thank You for Your Word, even the tough parts in Your Word like that which we have before us today. Lord, we want to receive what You have for us by the Holy Spirit as You speak into our lives. We, we don't want to, because of the content here and the subject matter that we're going to be dealing with, we don't want to disconnect or disenfranchise ourselves from the passage as we're so often prone to do. Lord, please don't let us kind of get away with that. Lord, we need to hear this as tough as it might be. Lord, uh, it's Your Word, and every word in Your Word is in Your Word for a reason. And sometimes it's for our edification or exhortation, but Oftentimes it's for our instruction and rebuke and even warning. So Lord, so be it. If that's what you have for us today, then Lord, speak. Your servants are listening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So <laughs> um, I want to talk with you today about a very popular topic. Uh, something that everyone loves to talk about and hear about, and which is that judgment is coming. See, this is what you get when you teach verse by verse. 
if I didn't teach the Bible verse by verse and only taught topically, I can assure you I would not teach this text. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm being very honest with you, open with you. I mean, who wants to talk about judgment? The judgment of God. No, I would much rather talk to you about the love of God. Well, the Apostle Peter, by the Holy Spirit, is going to zero in on how it is and why it is that we can know that Judgment Day is coming. It is a fact. It is a truth. And what I'd like to do, if you'll kindly allow me to, is draw your attention to three facts that prove this, that the day of judgment will absolutely come. And here's the thing, it can come sooner than any of us might even begin to imagine. Now, why is this important? And I guess you could even, along with that, ask the question of why is this even in our Bibles? Because there will come a time, and I believe that time is now, where people will not put up with or tolerate sound doctrine. And this is sound doctrine. This is biblical truth. And many in the last days, even now, are turning away from that truth. And they're turning to myths, things that are false. Example, uh, many preachers today will never preach a sermon titled, Judgment is Coming. However, many preachers today will preach a sermon that revival is coming. And let's be honest with ourselves, and I'll, I'll just speak for myself, because I'll take one for the team. That's what I want to hear. No, for real. I would much rather go to a church where the preacher is going to preach a sermon on, revival is coming. Now the church down the street, you know, the one on the windward side, the one you're in right now, uh, the pastor is preaching a sermon not on revival is coming, but a sermon on judgment is coming. Ah, oh, that's okay. I'm good. No, you're not, because it is coming. Now keep in mind, and I, wanna, I want to give you the backstory again by way of a much needed reminder concerning the Apostle Peter. The, these are his last words, his final words. Why emphasize that? Because when you know that it's just a matter of time before you take your last breath here and your first breath in eternity, and you've only got so many words to speak left, what are you going to talk about? Oh, you're going to get real, <laughs> real fast. That's what he's going to talk about. This is what he's been inspired by the Holy Spirit, his parting words, his last will and testament, if you prefer. And he's talking about this. See, I don't want to talk about this. 
if this, I'm on my deathbed and I've only got, you know, hey, hey Pastor JD, what, what are some final parting words? God loves you. Revival still isn't coming, but God loves you. But I'm not going to say, hey, judgment is coming. The wrath of God is coming. I don't want to do that. I want to talk about nice things and loving things and, you know, things that are just a little bit more amicable and amenable and plausible and all the bulls, <laughs> but not this. I mean, who wants to talk about this, let alone hear about this? So the Apostle Peter is now going to hit this head on. And we're going to see in a most interesting way how he goes about it, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Judgment is coming. Here's why, number one, God created the earth, verse 5. Here, Peter says again of these aforementioned mockers that they deliberately forget, hang on to that for a second, that by God's Word, earth was created out of water by water. Now, I have a problem here because I don't ever deliberately forget. It comes very easily and naturally, thank you very much nothing deliberate about it. So I'm having a little bit of a problem understanding the wording here and the rendering here. And then when you go to the original language, what you find is that this deliberately forgetting carries with it the idea of, listen, escaping their notice. It has escaped their notice. They've deliberately allowed the creation and the Creator to escape their notice. That's deliberate. In other words, and this is Peter's point, they want to have this escape their notice, because if God's creation can escape, then so too can God's judgment also escape. Do you see what I just did there? So here you are, you, as Peter just got done telling us, want to continue living this sinful life, following your evil desires. But you got a problem if God, your Creator, Almighty God, is going to come and judge the earth. Well, we got to do something about that. We got to get rid of this Creator. We got to get rid of this God who's coming back. Where's the promise of His return as they mock? And the reason is, if you can eliminate if you can allow to escape God as Creator, then you've also eliminated God as Destroyer. And now Peter's not going to let him get away with that. They're attempting to escape the coming judgment from the Creator by deliberately attempting to escape the creation of the Creator. 
<laughs> they can try if they want. But the problem is the whole of creation screams of a Creator. And that's really verse 6. And our second proof that whether you like it or not, you're going to fight it all you want, try as you may, God will come and judge. He did it before. This is, uh, again, just thankfully, Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is it's almost like, well, of course, God knows the end from the beginning. He anticipates the argument. And in advance of this attempt to eliminate the Creator, and as such, and by extension, the creation, Peter says, uh, not only did God create the earth, but so too did God also destroy the earth. So he has the blueprint. And if you want to look at his track record, he's done it once. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And he's going to do it again. Only this time it won't be by water. It will be by fire and it will happen. The destruction. See, that which God created the earth with was also that which God destroyed the earth with, water. He created water. He created the earth. He created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them is. And there came a time on earth when the wickedness of man was so continually, always evil, all the time. I know that sounds redundant, that God had to judge the world. And He did. And God destroyed the world. So what's Peter's point again? Peter's reminding them of that which they quote unquote deliberately forgot, it seems. It's escaped your notice. You've allowed it to escape, because <laughs> you want to escape the coming judgment. Well, I'm going to remind you, I'm going to bring back that which has escaped, and I'm going to put it back in front of your face. God created the earth. God destroyed the earth. And here again, Peter's making this point that try as they may, they will not escape the fact that because God created the earth and also destroyed the earth once before, that God is going to do it again. See, this is why they mock. Where's the promise, key word, of His coming? See, if, if you can bring doubt about his coming, then so too can you bring doubt about His coming judgment. See, if, if God's not coming back, as He promised, and judgment's not coming, then I'm good. I can live as I please, following my evil desires, living my, my sinful life. I will never have to give an account on judgment day. But God has to judge, because He's just. Well, yeah, but God is love. 
Well, if God is love, then God is just. Not God has love, God is love. Make that distinction. Because see, if God was not just, then God cannot be loving. And here's how I get there. Let's use the scene of a courtroom, if you don't mind. You have the judge, unjust judge. He's a loving guy. Hey, can we just all get along? (laughs) In walks the perpetrator who's committed the crime, guilty. And uh, the victims are over here. Now what's this judge going to do? Is he going to judge justly? Well, the judge says, you know, I'm kind of in a good mood today, having a good hair day, <laughs> whatever. Uh, you know, just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a break. I'm just, I, I'm just feeling the love right now. That's not love. You got a victim over here. What about them? That's not only not loving, that is unjust. It's as unjust as it is unloving. Do you see the connection between being just and being loving? God has to judge. I want to come back to this in a moment. Before we get to verse 7 and the fact that God will do it again, I want you to kind of see this and frame this in the context of He has to. I know this isn't proper English. He can't not. It's inconsistent with who God is and how God is. He he won't force man to obey Him or love Him, but man can force him to bring the heavy hand of God's judgment on them. It's almost like this. You, you in a way, leave God with no choice. Um, It's not God's will that any should perish. And He takes no delight in the judging of the wicked, the punishing of evil. He takes no delight in it. Hell was never created for man. Hell was created for the devil and his demons. This is really a misnomer, and I think we should probably address it. God does not send anyone to hell. In fact, Jesus says, over my dead and resurrected body do you go to hell. I did everything and stopped at nothing so that you would not perish. If you would but believe in me, you would have everlasting life. Because I don't want anyone to perish. It's not God's will. And Peter, by the way, is going to bring that up here towards the end of the chapter. So God has to. He he has no choice but to. His hand has been forced. I think about Romans 1, a very, very difficult chapter. I'll never forget teaching that chapter when we were teaching and studying through Romans verse by verse. I think I wept through the whole teaching of chapter 1. 
I mean, it's just so heartbreaking because God is basically saying this, okay, you've made your choice. I'm going to give you over to that which you've already hardened your heart, sealed your fate, and made up your mind concerning. I don't want to, but I have to. I can't turn a blind eye because women are lusting after women, men after men. I've tried to, I've done everything I can. And we're going to talk about Jeremiah in a moment. 40 plus years. I, I, I sent my prophets to you. I, I sent my representatives to you. I sent preachers to you. I sent pastors to you. I sent brothers and sisters to you to warn you. Because I don't want you to come under judgment. I love you. I'm trying to spare you of this. So God is creator, but so too is God destroyer. However, this time it won't be by water, it will be by fire. And this time it won't just be the earth, it will be the heavens and the earth. Why? New heavens and new earth. Why? Because sin entered heaven. In fact, the first sin was not on earth in the garden, it was in heaven when Lucifer exalted himself in his pride. I will ascend my throne above the Most High. I will. I. I, 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 I. <laughs> it's an I problem. And I is the problem, by the way. I is the letter right smack in the middle of the word sin. So too is the letter I right smack in the middle of the word pride. I'll take up one more. You might have more. But I is right smack in the middle of the name Lucifer. I. <laughs> that was the first sin. It's going to be the new heavens and the new earth. So again, let's kind of circle back to this why question, why does this rise to the level of God inspiring Peter to write this by the Holy Spirit? Again, if I had my choice, which I didn't and wouldn't, but I would not choose to talk about this in my very last letter that I would write. Okay? Uh, second JD would read very differently. Let's just put it like that. <laughs> so why? Answer, because those who mock and ridicule the Lord's return in the pre-trib rapture and the subsequent judgment in the seven-year tribulation are, wait for it, self-deceived. You know what it means to be self-deceived? Again, I know this is deeply profound. I stay up at night trying to come up with these profound truths. To be self-deceived means that you've deceived yourself. I know, profound, right? Just self-deceived. I've deceived myself. In other words, I have been so good at deception, I've deceived even myself in my own deception. It's that 
proverbial case of, I've lied so much, I'm believing my own lies. You know, that's, that's a thing, by the way. Neurologically, physiologically, psychologically, you can tell a lie long enough to where you actually believe your own lie. That's called being self-deceived. You have succeeded in deceiving yourself. Oh, you've had help, but you have to go to the motive, since we're still in a courtroom, I guess. <laughs> what, what was the motivation? Well, the motivation is, I, I don't want the Lord to return. I don't want judgment to come. I don't want God to be Creator, because if God is Creator, then God is also destroyer. I don't want God to be judge, because I don't want to be judged. So you can wiggle yourself out of that and talk yourself into this. Last Thursday we were in Lamentations chapter 2. By the way, for those of you that are with us on Thursday nights, uh, are you a little bit surprised by the book of Lamentations? That answers my question right there. You know what Lamentations are? They're mournings, they're dirges, funeral dirges, written by Jeremiah under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he mourns the death of a nation. That's what the book of Lamentations is about. Five, thank God, only five, right? Five, five dirges, five songs, uh, poems really. They're written poetically in an acrostic, using the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And I mean, Thursday night in chapter 2 was horrific. I mean horrific. That's almost an understatement. Why horrific? Because it was a chapter about the judgment on and destruction of Judah by the Babylonians. But you know what's striking about this particular chapter? All that had happened to Judah was due to their being deceived and having believed the false prophets instead of the true prophet Jeremiah. Why? Why did they do so? Because they wanted to do so. Just don't speak and prophesy only smooth things. Tell me how I can have my best life now. Tell me I'm a good person. God loves me just the way I am. He gets me. Yeah, He gets you out of hell. I'm not angry, I, I don't think. No, they wanted it to be so. In fact, we're even told that it was so. They would say to the prophets, don't prophesy judgment to us. Lie to us. <laughs> no, you. For those of you that were with us through our study through Jeremiah, all 52 chapters. Oh my goodness. And not just Jeremiah, Isaiah before him. 
Same thing, the, the, the common theme. We don't want to hear it, Jeremiah. In fact, they had a, a contract out on his life. They threatened his life. We're going to shut you up, man. Stop doing those prophecy updates every week. They're all doom and gloom. Okay, I'm not going to go any further with that. I think you get the point. Because see, that's what Jeremiah was prophesying. Judgment's coming. The Babylonians are coming. And you're going to be taken captive. And he was a lone voice in the wilderness. And here's all these other false prophets, many of them, no shortage of them. And they're saying, ah, don't listen to Jeremiah. Yeah, it's not. They're not coming. It's not going to happen. It's not judgment. It's going to be revival. And they say it just like that. <laughs> and then here's Jeremiah. Um, I know my message is not popular. I know you don't want to hear it, but it's the truth. See, what they had done is they made the conscious decision, which is what Peter is addressing here. They deliberately, consciously make this decision. And they made this decision to receive and believe the popular message of the false prophets and reject the unpopular message from God's true prophet. So picture the scene with me. Here's Jeremiah. And I mean, it is so heartbreaking. He's earned the title of being affectionately referred to as the weeping prophet for good reason. There's one point in chapter 2 where he basically says, I just can't stop crying. I can't stop crying. Because he's, he's witnessing this, and he's mourning, and he's, he's grieving. And you can't blame him for 40 plus years. He has been telling them, warning them about what is coming, and they've rejected him. They've wanted to kill him. They've imprisoned him. They beat him. They rejected him. Enter verse 14. In fact, he is so distraught emotionally that he's sick physically. He basically vomits. Have you ever been so distraught emotionally that it makes you physically sick? That's what happened to Jeremiah. Enter verse 14, Lamentations 2. And it just is so apropos to what the Apostle Peter is writing. Jeremiah says, your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not, listen to this, uncovered your iniquity. Translated, they've glossed over it, covered it up. They've not talked about it, because they want you to come back next week. They don't want you to not like them. And they surely don't want you to unfriend them on social media. So they're not going to bring it up. But they're not going to talk about sin. No, they're just going to talk about God is good. You're good. We're all good. 
Have a nice afternoon. And you leave the church feeling, oh, so fuzzy and warm. Wasn't that wonderful? Yeah. Let's have a group hug. <laughs> if you leave, and this is not your problem, you have, do not have this problem, at least I don't think you do. If you leave here feeling good about yourself, I failed. If you leave here feeling good about God, I've succeeded. Do I, do I need to say the same thing in a different way? See, when I go through the Bible, here's what I read. It's the mirror. I see me as I am, not as I have deceived myself into thinking I am. You know, you've seen those memes, what my friends think I do what my parents think I do, <laughs> what my boss thinks I do, what I actually do. Quite a disparity. You don't know what I'm talking about? Wow, good. You're not on social media. Very good. So this is a mirror. It shows me me as God sees me, my true condition. <laughs> kind of like when you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning, which as you get older, you don't want to do as often. <laughs> oh, Jesus, come quickly. But it, you're seeing yourself as you truly are. The, the, the mirror is not deceiving you. Forget this mirror, mirror on the wall. No, the mirror is going, dude, yeah, just like that. You need to make some changes here. But you see you got hair growing where it shouldn't hair not where it used to be. <laughs> you got, you need to shave and yeah, anyway, sorry about the, the illustration. I think you get the point, but it shows me me. So what is it showing me about me? I'm a sinner. 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 I need a savior. I need a savior. I need a savior. I need a Savior. I just summed up the Bible in whatever, 20 seconds there. See the law, what if I told you that the Ten Commandments were never given for us to keep? Uh, no, the, the law is perfect. And all the Ten Commandments were to do was to show us that we've broken the law. Because once we see that we've broken the law, the Holy Spirit's right there to take us by the hand as the tutor, the, the instructor, the, the schoolmaster to the cross where we find the Savior who fulfilled the law instead of me, for me, died for me instead of me. But see, if you rob people of that, they have no need. You're deceiving them. It's deception. It's false. You've not uncovered their iniquity. It's almost like Jeremiah is saying, where are your false prophets now? Oh, you know the ones I'm talking about. The ones that were telling you all the time, nah, don't listen to Jeremiah. It's not going to happen. Everything's going to be good. And even those that have been taken captive, because there was three times that Judah was besieged. Ah, we're just, we're, they'll, they'll come back very soon. We'll get them back. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Yeah, uncle got taken captive. Yeah, we'll get them back. Don't worry about it. 
Yeah, but Jeremiah is saying that it's going to be 70 years. Nah, don't listen to Jeremiah. Uh, why is this happening? Because God's disciplining us. God's judging us. God's chastising us. See, for 40 plus years, Jeremiah has been warning you and uncovering your sin that is going to bring and force the hand of God's judgment. And what is so stunning about lamentations in particular is that this did not have to happen. This could have been avoided. So he says, basically, where's your false prophets now? You know, the ones that were saying, hey, I had a dream, and, and, and God showed me, and, and God told me, and, and you know, God told me this. And then Jeremiah's over here going, that's not God. Because uh, it's not consistent with <laughs> the Word of God. No, God has already given you His Word and His warning. And you're having this dream, and you're going to do a YouTube video about it, and ask people to subscribe to your YouTube channel about your dreams that you're getting about, man, there's going to be a move of God. <laughs> I did that way too good, didn't I? It's a gift. Oh, we're going we're gonna to take our country back. We're going to make the Titanic float again. It's false. Because I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of prophecy, true prophecies in here about how the Titanic is sinking. And if you want to get saved, you need Jesus. Because Jesus is coming. Oh, I know that you mock it and ridicule it. They, they have not uncovered your iniquity to bring back your captives. But listen to this, have envisioned for you false prophecies. And get this word, delusions. This is 2 Thessalonians 2. We talked about it in the prophecy update, a powerful delusion. Why? They believe the lie. Why? Because they rejected the truth. If you don't understand that, you're going to misunderstand the justice of God. It's like God has given them the truth, and they've deliberately rejected the truth. And as such, they have believed the lie. And then God says, okay. And He gives them over to this powerful delusion, because their heart's already hardened, their neck's already stiffened, their mind's already made up, and their fate is already sealed. So they, they want to believe the delusions. They want to believe the false prophecies. They want to believe the deception. They want to believe the lies. They've rejected the truth. Why have they rejected the truth? They don't want to hear the truth. What's the truth? Jesus is coming. Judgment is coming. That's the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Well, I don't like that. Okay. So you're going to reject it? Yeah. You might want to think about that. Just because it, it's not what you want to hear, 
doesn't mean that it's not what you need to hear. In fact, pretty good chance that the reason why you don't want to hear it is because you really need to hear it. And it's not like God is in heaven saying, Thou shalt heed my warning, because I'm God, and I said so. No. It's more like this. I love you so much. I can't stand to sit here and watch you go down this path that seems right unto a man, but it's the path that leads to destruction. It's the wide gate, and many go thereof, and it leads to destruction. I'm, I'm trying to warn you, I don't want that to happen to you. I love you. And getting back to the Ten Commandments, as one appropriately called them the tender commandments, from a loving, tender, heavenly Father that says, don't have other gods before me, because they're not going to be there for you. They're no gods at all. And all through the Old Testament, it's, it's humorous in a sick sort of way, but I have a sick sense of humor, so I find humor in everything. But it's kind of like when you know you're in trouble when you've got to take care of your God. No, when the, yeah, remember when the Philistines got the ark and they put it in the temple of Dagon, the half man, half fish God? And here's the Ark of the Covenant, man. I mean, who thought that was a good idea? They put it in it, come in, come in the morning, and their God, Dagon, is broken on its face before the Ark of the Covenant. Perfect posture to be the presence, the Shekinah glory of God. And what do they do? They're like, oh, no, don't let anybody see this. They pick their God up. They have to glue him back together. And that, you're in trouble, dude. I'm just telling you, if you've got to glue your God back together. I, hey, my God, He glues me back together. I don't have to take care of my God. He takes care of me. So here's God getting back to my point. And believe it or not, I actually have a point. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, because they are no gods at all. <laughs> and they're not going to be there for you. They can do nothing for you. They're not going to be there for you when they need them. I will. Don't bow down and worship them. Hey, let's fast forward to the second five. Thou shalt not commit adultery, because it will devastate your life. It'll never be the same again. Thou shalt not murder, not kill, different, delineate that. Thou shalt not murder, because you will be haunted and hunted for the rest of your life. Thou shalt not covet. This one in particular is a biggie. I'm going to very loose paraphrase here. Just bear with me. Thou shalt not covet, because if you do, it will eat your lunch and dinner too. It will eat you up from the inside out. You let a bitter root, covetousness, jealousy, you let that take root and sprout. It will defile you. It will destroy you. I'm telling you, don't do that because I love you. And I can't stand to see what would happen to you when you do that. It will destroy your life. 
I'm, I'm warning you about something that I don't want you to do because I love you and I don't want you to suffer the consequences that will always come if you do it. I modified a saying I learned uh, when I was in uh, the business world. The saying goes like this, the, the bitterness of poor quality lingers on long after the sweetness of a low price. So I've modified it, sanctified it. Actually, I've sanctified it. Um, the bitterness of sin's consequences linger on much longer than the sweetness of the momentary pleasure of that sin. And this is what God wants to spare us from. And this is what Peter is wanting to encourage them with. You have to remember now, the Christians to whom the Apostle Peter writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, are being thrown into these Colosseums to be eaten alive by animals. This is under Caesar Nero that was dipping them in tar, lighting them on fire, burning them alive, mocking them as he rode around in his carriage, cross-dressing with his guy friends. And he's saying, mocking them, yeah, you're the light of the world, light the world, as he lights them on fire and burns them alive. That's who he's writing this to. I say that to say this, don't you think that they really needed to hear about how God is going to judge them? God's going to judge them. I think it settled them, and it should settle us too. Because not much has changed. Well, the names have been changed to protect the guilty, but it's the same old thing. Where we're at right now, would you agree with me? <laughs> I'm at a loss for words. That's a miracle by itself. You have just witnessed a supernatural miracle. I don't have words to say. The world we live in today, You know, you know, I know we talked about this. I don't want to go on and on about it, but just, just indulge me for a moment. One of the hardest things for a pastor in this world today is to stand alone, go against the crowd, who are all saying everything's going to be okay. Uh, we, we might have 30, 40, 50 more years. Just relax. Everybody calm down. Nothing to see here. And yet everything in God's Word contradicts that as being false. And the amount of pressure, and this is why, not to excuse it, but to explain it, many a pastor will cave and acquiesce. It's a crushing pressure to go against the crowd, to be the only one, like a Jeremiah, to be the only one that is willing to stand up and say, no, that's false. Oh, would to God that we as Christians, I'm not talking about pastors, would have the spiritual spine, the holy boldness, to stand up and say, that is false. Do not be deceived. That's a lie. And let me tell you why it's a lie. 
Because if that were true, then what are we doing? Just, hey, take it easy. I don't need to do prophecy updates anymore. That alone. What a huge pressure taken off of my plate every week. I mean, I'm never happier than when I'm teaching God's Word. And I've confessed this. I hope you don't see me differently. But I enjoy teaching the Old Testament more than I do the prophecy update, especially now. (laughs) I die a thousand deaths every week. No, I'm serious when I say that. I don't want to talk about this stuff. This is not popular. This is very uncomfortable. Good. God will comfort the afflicted, but He'll also afflict the comfortable. David said that, Psalm 119. It was good that I was afflicted, because I was going astray. Now I'm taking heed to His Word. It was good to be afflicted. Thank You, Lord, for afflicting me when I get too comfortable down here. And in this world, not my home, this world that I've long overstayed my welcome. That's the why behind the lie, you know. See, the the lie is kept alive because, yeah, man, if we can make America great again, then hey, be around for a while. Let's invest in some, you know, real estate now, because let's lay up some treasures down here on earth where moth and rust can destroy and where a thief can break in and steal if we're going to be here for a while. And conversely, let's flip that around. If we're not, and America is not, and please give me a break on this whole, you're so not patriotic, you weren't born in this country, you know, do you? don't give me that, okay? Don't give me that. Oh, I shouldn't have gone there, but yeah. I say that in love. I say that in love. I love this country. And I, I hope this doesn't come off wrong, but I actually love this country more than most. Because my parents, when I was nine months old, immigrated legally, by the way, legally, immigrated legally, to this country in 1963, fleeing Islam in the Middle East. And had they not done that, I don't know, A, if I'd be alive, B, if I'd be saved. I love this country more than most. So that's why I I, uh, went off on you and said, don't give me that. That was kind of mean in Jesus' name. But, uh, (laughs) but are you following me on this? If, if this thing's going to turn around and, and we're going to make things good again and great again, then, hey, what am I, then, hey, we're going to be here for a while. Might as well hunker down, settle down. No. My Bible says we're going up. Hunker down. No. Can you imagine the rapture happens? I'm all hunkered down. It's kind of like, Hey, go. He didn't. He's too hunkered down to be caught. That's not going to happen. I, I just, I should have quit when the sermon was over. But we're holding on so tightly to this world and the things of this world. No wonder. 
I honestly believe with all of my heart, and the Lord knows my heart, that if the truth be made known, people don't want to go to heaven yet. Yet. Well, they want to go, but no hurry. You know, we are like, Lord, come quickly. They are like, Lord, yeah, yeah, that what my brother Charlie said. No hurry, no worry. I got investments down here. I got, I got treasures down here. I got my roots down here. I'm tethered to down here. My heart is here because that's where my treasure is. So no worry, no worry. I think about that chilling parable in Matthew 24, and I'll end with this. There's hope. Uh, It's chilling because Jesus is comparing, contrasting the wicked servant with the righteous servant. The wicked servant is partying, and I mean, hey, my master delays his coming. No hurry, no worry. Contrasted with the righteous servant that's like, "Um, I wouldn't do that if I were you, because he can come back at any time. And because that servant believed that his master could come at any time, he was found faithful doing what his master had commanded him to do. Well done, good and faithful servant. See, when I live my life with the expectation and anticipation that my master can return at any time, that is a game changer in how I live my life. And conversely, if I think, hey, you got me, got 20, 30 years, uh, I'll be dead by then, by the way. Oh, that's a depressing thought. (laughs) Oh, I won't go up in the rapture. Give me a moment here. I'm having a moment. Uh, 30 years? Proverbs say, hope deferred makes a heart sick. You, you don't, don't take my hope from me. That's my blessed hope. That's my only hope. You take, we talked about this last week. I don't mean to preach last week's sermon over again, but I think it's maybe fitting, a word fitly spoken. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal our hope and kill our joy. And my, he's my hope. He's my only hope. He's your only hope too, by the way. The only way we're getting out of this is when Jesus takes us out of here. That's the only, that's our only hope. No, I still think we could turn this thing around. Okay. (laughs) Go ahead. See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. I'm trying to figure out how to end this a little bit smoother than I have in the past few weeks. So Capono, can you come up here and help me out? And maybe you can stand up. That still wasn't very seamless, but (laughs) judgment's coming. I know that that doesn't itch your itching ears that want to hear something different, but it's the truth. Judgment is coming. And aren't you glad that justice will finally be served? 
And God will have the final word. And we're going to be taken out of this dying world, this lust and dying world that is waxing more and more evil with each passing day. Gives you hope. Was that better? Can we go ahead and close now? All right. <laughs> Father in heaven, thank you. I, <sighs> thank you for my brothers and sisters. Oh, they're so gracious and patient and kind and loving. And oh, Lord, I, th I thank you. <laughs> Even though tough stuff for sure, boy, it's good. It's good. And we need to be reminded of this, especially when we're on the receiving end of someone ridiculing us and mocking us. You still believe? <laughs> Come on. No, right here. Thank you, Lord, for Second Peter. Thank you for this chapter. Thank you for these verses. We, we need to be reminded that this is exactly what's going to happen, and soon and very soon. Thank you, Lord. As tough as it is, it's good. And Jesus, <laughs> Maranatha, come quickly. Please, Jesus, come quickly. Lord, come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen.